what we did last time, let me start from somewhere just to say one or two things. The point is this. It is true that we are doing ministry, but we need to understand that we are not doing it for ourselves. We are workers for someone. And that is Christ himself. Amen? It's Christ himself. Because I realize that in Matthew 16, if you look at 13 to 18, he made us to understand very clearly, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail. The church is his own, not your own. Let's get that right. And so, essentially, we are co-laborers together with Christ. And I will not always fail to emphasize this. If you uh, want to build a house and you engage people to help you or to come join you to build uh, the architecture and, and the mansion, whatever, everybody must work according to the blueprint. If the person tries to fix some things in the building that is not in the original design without your approval, I think most of them, if care is not taking, you ask the person to stop and give the job to somebody else. Am I right? And so when Paul starts speaking about 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, being a castaway, there is a need for us to understand certain things. That is not enough to do ministry. That is also a place for disqualification by reason of the man that engaged you to do ministry for him. The word cast away is not necessarily saying you've been taken to hell. Cast away, you can check it out in your, maybe other translations, especially like the Amplified, actually means to be disqualified. And so Paul was saying, I don't want to be disqualified. And the point is, if you are, for instance, we just, we're having all African games now going on. And something happened and they say, okay, the team is disqualified. That means they can't continue to play. That's what it means. And if they can't continue to play, they can't go to quarterfinals, semifinals, whatever, and finals. It means they can't get hold of the trophy. So when you are disqualified, it's another way of saying the crown you were supposed to receive or the reward you were supposed to receive, you lose it. And that is because you do not play the game according to the rules. What disqualifies the person in any game is not playing according to the rules. Amen? So that's exactly what Paul was talking about. And what am I trying to say here? If Jesus owns the church and is building the church, then he expects us to build according to his own pattern. Is that okay? And then the next thing you need to understand also, if you look at Hebrews chapter 3, uh, one, just reading from verse 1, you're going to understand that the Bible says Jesus himself is the apostle and high priest of our profession. And that immediately indicates something. That the church of Jesus Christ is apostolic. And that makes it clearly, you know, plain before us that every local assembly is apostolic. And that is not to say you are carrying an apostolic title, but it has an apostolic culture. Because the man himself who owns the church is apostolic in nature. So the church should be apostolic. Amen? 
And one thing you need to understand also is, if you look at Mighty 23, I'm just, sorry, Max, uh, I'm sorry, I'm laying foundation. Okay. <laughs> Mighty 23. If you look at 33 to 34, you're going to see that the Bible made us understand that God sent three basic ministries. When God wants to build a church, if Jesus wants to build a church, he sent three basic, three basic ministries. Uh, he talked about the prophet. In Matthew there, you're going to see the wise man, the scribe, and the prophet. Right? Okay. These three offices has to do with the apostle, the prophet, and the teacher. This is a threefold cord that like, cannot be easily broken. And often people ask me the question, do you mean to say then that each local assembly must have the three offices functioning? The problem again is sometimes, even if you have them, it is difficult for people to come together to realize that they can benefit from those ministries as they function together. Because everybody wants to be the head. Is that okay? So it's difficult, but you should be able to recognize them. They bring in impute. Um, I've worked with Maxwell over the years, and I know his basic calling is administrative. So even though he's my biological son or he's working under me, whatever, if he comes and says that this is okay, yes, sir. I just agree with it. I know he's sent to me to bless my ministry. Uh, we don't have any schism. We don't have any whatever. He shouldn't be there. So if you have a prophet, and I'm not talking about prophet that just sees vision. A prophet is a man that really speaks the mind of God, that sees things before others see them. Is that okay? It's a big difference between a visionary and a prophet. We need to understand that. Because only the first time the word prophet is used in the Bible, it was used for Abraham. And there is nowhere on record Abraham was seeing vision for people. But God rightly said in uh, Genesis 20, if you read it, when he was speaking to Abimelech, say, give Sarah back to the person or to the man because the husband is a prophet. And that was because Abraham knows the mind of God. And the Bible says, I know he could be able to teach his children in the way of the Lord. He knows God's mind. And then we know from Amos, the definition is, I will do nothing at first reveal it to my prophet. And what that means is God will not engage on anything except if I bring in his partner, which has to do with the prophet. And so when God was to destroy Sodom, the first thing he did was to go to Abraham because he was the prophet of God. Amen. All right, so I want us to get that right. So when we say God needs a prophet, an apostle, and a teacher to build a church, I'm not just talking about men who see vision. Now, let me show you a typical example from First Chronicle 27. Individually, you can carry these three graces, if I may use the word. Individually, you can carry them, which is First Chronicle 27. If you look at verse 32, you're going to find that the Bible tells so Jonathan's, uh, David, Jonathan's uncle carried these three major offices of a counselor, which is a prophetic, a wise man, which is the apostolic, and a scribe, which is the teaching ministry. These three gifts were functioning in the life of Jonathan's uncle. Amen? Or Jonathan, which is the uncle of David. Amen? Hallelujah. So you need those people. So you find that this man, which is Jonathan and Ahithophel were actually the backbone of David as a king. You see? They were the backbone of a king. 
uh, of the king. So understand that you need this. If God is building a system, these three major offices must function. Now the basic thing is these three offices, they bring the mind of God to bear on what is being done so that it can be done accurately. Are you still with me? Okay. Now if you look at Matthew 7, I would like to read this from uh, verse 21 from the message translation, the book of Matthew chapter 7 which is directly connected to what I said about Paul speaking about being disqualified for not doing the work the way it's supposed to be done. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. The Bible is saying, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. Jesus is speaking. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now. And the final judgment, thousands trusting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored project had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourself important. You don't impress me one bit. You are out of here. I think that's a very serious statement to receive from the Lord. After all the bashing of the devils and all of that. But the key point there is, you did all of these things without doing it according to pattern. It's not in the will of my father. I, I, I'm just looking at something a few days ago in meditation. I find that John the Baptist spent six years in the wilderness preparing for three years ministry and one and a half years imprisonment. How do you see that? Six years preparing for three, three about three and a half years or thereabout. Three, three years, six months. Was the ministry of John. Then one and a half years imprisonment. But it took six years for preparation just to do it according to pattern. And the major ministry of John was simply to introduce Jesus and the kingdom. And that's all. Hallelujah. Just to introduce Jesus Christ. Some of us are actually, that is where we have problems. Some of us were actually called to be partners with people to promote their ministry. And that is where your reward lies. But we don't know. We want to be GOs. You see? A whole six good years in the wilderness was to prepare him just to introduce Jesus. And the ministry of baptizing the river, check it out, was simply to locate the Messiah. Because even himself did not know who the Messiah was. And that also tells you that you may not even know the people that you're working with. Because you must understand that two of them were just six months apart. So that they are staying with your pastor, you are staying with somebody in the same house, doesn't mean you know the person until God reveals the person to you. Are we there? Okay. So let's move on. Now in my own little research or studies, this is what the Lord made me see. Actually, I was in South Africa last year and I had two days off from my schedules, my engagement. And the second day, the Lord woke me up and said, go and read the book of Acts. I was just wondering what the problem was. But I just started reading. And at the end, I realized, and the Lord made me to see this is why I asked you to read. I find that there are four major things that have been or should be the emphasis of the church 
Going about what Peter said, what Paul said, what Luke said. How many of you know that Luke also contributed to the book of Acts? You, you know that? Luke also wrote the book of Acts. You need to check it out. Amen? All right. Peter came in there and all that Paul did. Okay, fine. If you check all of them, you, you know the book of Acts is supposed to be the, the prototype of what we call the Pentecostal church. Am I right? Okay, fine. Now, four basic things were the things that were emphasized. Four basic things. Uh, I'm just trying to recap this for the sake of those who have not been around, but you need to get back the CDs. The number one thing that was the major emphasis there was the word resurrection. Resurrection. Key word or key message. I'm talking about building according to pattern. Resurrection. You see, Paul will make this statement. I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, I mean crucified. Thereafter, he begins to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is that okay? All right. He will, he will make you understand from 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't believe Jesus has risen, then you are yet in your sins. Meaning his resurrection got you out of sin. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So it's as important a message as you can ever imagine. If you are talking about people talking about sin, then if you don't bring in the resurrection of Jesus, you have not even started. So check, go back as you leave this uh, uh, section of what we're doing now, you just go back and start reading the book of Acts. And you're going to see the emphasis that I'm talking about. So number one emphasis was resurrection. Number two was Jesus the Christ. And that is also very important. Jesus the Christ. The word Christ is not just anointing only as we know it. Let me put it that way so that I don't get some of you off the track. But Christ actually means, the word Christ actually means Messiah. And the Hebrews or the Jewish people were waiting for the prophesied Messiah until Christ was born. Right? And so, if you begin to read, Paul will say, I am saying that this Jesus is the Messiah. Or the Christ. So when you use the word the Christ, what he's saying is the Messiah. The very one that was prophesied that we're expecting. And if you can deal with the Messiahship of Christ to the body, then you can be able to talk about their deliverance. Because it took, it was supposed to take the Messiah coming to Israel to deliver them. So if you don't understand the messiahship of Christ, then there is no true deliverance for your people. Amen? Then the next thing you're going to see there is the word kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. And then the last thing you may probably see in terms of importance of emphasis is the word the grace of God or the gospel of grace. But today we're dealing with the kingdom of God. In our next section, we'll be dealing with the gospel of grace. So let's start a journey from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1. The kingdom of God. I want to trust that I should be able to get through with this. So you're going to be fast a little bit with me. You are all pastors. So that gives me good opportunity to be a little bit fast. If you look at Mark chapter 1, uh, from 14 to 15, the Bible made us know that very clearly. As soon as John was put in prison, the Bible said Jesus moved on to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And there's something to say, verse 15, and he's saying the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. 
believe the gospel. And that means believe the good news. What is the good news? The good news of the kingdom. Luke chapter 4. Verse 43. Look for. Let's just look at. 43. The Bible made us understand here. He was in this particular city. And all our teaching and all that. And then. The people wanted him to stay behind. And that is sometimes what can probably happen to us as ministers of the gospel. If we are in a particular city and things are working out, people are receiving us, it's difficult for us to leave. I was speaking to someone recently who was asking me a question. I said, can you picture what it takes if you truly want to do ministry that God will take you from a city revival to go and preach to one man? And that's what happened to Philip. He was in Samaria. Even the demons were subjecting themselves. Sorcerers were coming, bind down to him. The whole city was on for revival. People were doing signs and wonders. The spirit said, leave this place and go to the desert to meet one eunuch. A whole city revival. The Lord asked him to go and meet one eunuch. But you see, that one eunuch was the key to the whole nation of Ethiopia. So one man that God will send to you could be the door to a whole nation. You need to understand that when it comes to ministry. Now here, uh, Jesus gave us another example here. In, in Luke 4, 43. And he said unto them, they wanted him to say, and he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For therefore, I am sent. You see, it always baffles me. If Jesus had a specific commission, what ought to be our commission? If we are his disciples, the Bible says, every disciple must be as his master. If he has a specific commission that was driving him all over the place, moving from one city to another city, one major message, why do we have these fragmented teachings all over the place? Who are we working for? Whose ministry are we truly carrying? So Jesus was driven by one passion, and that is to ensure that the message of the kingdom that he carried was preached to other cities also. Amen. Go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse number 1. And it came to pass that afterwards that he went throughout every city and village. <laughs> Today we don't like village thing. Preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. From cities to villages. Because there is something that needs. Remember when he started. The time is Fulfilled. And I'm going to make you see what time he meant. You know, often and again, we have this contention theologically that the kingdom is not here. I have no problem. It's just that we are not taking time to study the Bible. Amen? 
we are not taking time to study. Some people said the kingdom didn't come because the Jews, they uh, scoffed. The Jews out of the Bible too. The Jews, they didn't accept him. So the kingdom was put away in abeyance and whatever. Okay, fine. I'm not going into all of that. But take time to study the Bible. Romans 14, 17, very straight. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if you say the kingdom is not here, you are simply telling me the Holy Spirit is not here. Because the Holy Spirit carries the kingdom. The expression of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Okay, that's another thing. But let's see. So yeah, Jesus was doing what he came to do. Moving from city to city, from village to village. Amen? Let's look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Uh, look at verse 1 and 2. Down to 3. Very quickly. The Bible says, And it came to pass afterward that it went throughout every city. Oh, sorry. Okay. Verse 1, Act 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of what Jesus began both to do and teach. Nice. Look, there's talking here, in case you don't understand. Right into Theophilus. Until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandment unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of then forty days, and doing what? Speaking of the things pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. For forty good days, Jesus occupied his attention, mind, energy in explaining further to the people about God's kingdom. Watch this. He started ministry declaring the kingdom. Within the space of time he lived, he was moved from village to city declaring the kingdom. When he rose from the grave, he engaged himself about God's kingdom. I mean, think about that. What a passion. Are you still there? So the question is, where is our passion today? If we are actually going to build just like he was building, and we have to build according to pattern. Amen? All right. Now, you know not very well. The Bible made us to understand. Uh, in Luke 16, verse 16, because there's something I'm driving at that you're going to get it very soon. Luke 16, verse 16, the Bible said, The law and the prophet were unto John. And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone pressed into it. Hallelujah. John began it. Every man is pressing into it right from that time. Praise the Lord. Are you still there? You know, we often like it the other way around when it says, uh, and the violent men, they take it by force. Eh? <laughs> okay. You need to read the book of 4 Samuel that you see violent men taking the thing by force. How many of you remember the two sons of Eli? If you don't give it to me, we'll take it by force. So that's how we're taking it today. It's not bad. Fine. Praise God. Okay. Acts chapter 8. I'm just running through a few things. Let me bring you to, to bring you to the very place that we need to talk about. Acts chapter number 8. If you look at verse 12, the Bible says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Samaria. That's Philip. Who is Philip in the first place? Philip is or was an evangelist. Am I correct? But what do we have today? You hear people say, well, I'm an evangelist. All I preach is John 3, 16. Have you had people like that? No, man. The 
Cornelius was an evangelist. Hallelujah. What was Philip preaching in Samaria? He was an evangelist. Philip the evangelist. He was preaching things concerning what? The kingdom of God. Because if the spirit that was in Christ is the same spirit that is in you, you'll be driven by the same passion that they have because it's the same spirit. So let's not excuse ourselves to say, well, I'm an evangelist. Oh, my message is just John 3, 16. And the way he declared that, you say, you give the altar call. No problem. We can go beyond just 3, 15. Amen? We can go down to the mind. Don't forget where we're coming from. The point is, we shouldn't do ministry to the point where the Lord himself will say, go away from me, ye workers of iniquity. Mark 7, where we read before. The word iniquity, if you may understand, is from the Greek word anomia. And anomia means lawlessness. A man who is not abiding by the rules. Your disqualification is simply when you don't abide by the rules that God has put in place. So here is Philip the Evangelist. It's not just a matter of just three, John 3, 16. He's declaring what? The kingdom of God. Amen? Okay. You go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to let you read all of that so I don't really bother myself. But let me just look at Apostle Paul here. So we find, uh, we find Luke, um, we find uh, Apostle Paul. Acts 20, let's look at verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching, what? Shall see my face no more. Who is talking here? Apostle Paul. Jesus preached it. John preached it. Philip preached it. Paul preached it. Are you still there? Hallelujah. The less, I just want you to go back there and study the whole book of Acts and see the emphasis and see the people that were declaring the things I'm talking about now. I'm trying to say, people of God, let's get back to the original message that God himself gave to his body. The reason I believe Jesus came to die is to establish God's kingdom on the face of the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. And that may be shocking to some of you. But let's watch something here. Daniel chapter 2. Remember, Jesus started by saying, it is fulfilled. What is it that is fulfilled? Let's get down to John chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 2. And then you can, you can marry to Daniel 9. But I want us to read Daniel chapter 2. And uh, you know the story of the, the image of Daniel. Is that okay? You know that very well, isn't it? Right. And there we have the, the kingdoms, Babylon. Is that okay? All right, Medopatia, we had Greeks and they were Rome. Is that okay? Right. Let's see what Daniel has to say here. Daniel 2, verse 43. He was trying to interpret. Excellent spirit. And whether thou sawest I am mixed with mere clay, they shall not mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Verse 44, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Verse 45, for as much as thou saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain with thine hand, and that it break in pieces the eye on the brass and the clay, the silver and the gold, the great gold, 
had made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. In the days of these kings, starting from King Nebuchadnezzar, are you getting that? Now, for every king, there is a kingdom. So you can also say, in the days of these kingdoms, shall the God of heaven set up his own kingdom. Are you getting that? So now, when Jesus came, as he started off in ministry, he said, it is fulfilled. What is fulfilled? The prophecy of Daniel. That in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up his kingdom. This is what you are now about to see. Did you get this? Meaning, he came to establish a kingdom that would take over the rest of the kingdoms. And so when you go to the book of Revelation, you're going to see, he said, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Now, until we understand this, we still be preaching our own message, not his message. Hallelujah. Let's even see the testimony of Jesus to Pilate. Because in the days of these kings, starting from Babylon, Medopatia, Greeks, and then Rome, he was born at the time the Roman Empire was in power. Is that okay? All right. Let's look at John 18. His testimony or confession before Pilate. I'm going to look at verse 36. John 18, verse 36. Jesus answered. Pilate was asking him, are you a king of the Jews? I mean, if you remember that. Now, let me, let me, my, 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 my local assembly, the, the people know exactly the import or the strength of that question. When Pilate said, are you a king of the Jews? What he was trying to find out is this. Jesus, first of all, answered, am I the one that told you what some people told you? Jesus said, and Pilate said, am I a Jew? Why are you asking me that? They told me you said you are a king of the Jews. <laughs> are you getting that? Now, look at the implication of that question. Some of us don't know. What he's saying is this. If Jesus said he's a king of the Jews, that means he could be tried for treason. He wants to lead a rebellion against Rome. Because the Jewish people were paying tax to Rome. So if they have their own king, and that was King Caesar, if they have their own king, then the taxes will now go to the king. So by implication, Pilate is saying, no, Pilate was working for Caesar. Is that okay? Pilate is saying, are you a king of the Jews? So if he simply said yes, that means the Jews will no longer pay tax to Caesar. Did you get an implication? But hear what Jesus said. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. And if my kingdom were of this world, then my servant will fight. That I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, are thou a king then? <laughs> Jesus answered, thou said that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So what did he mean? He's simply saying, I'm a king. If Jesus told Pilate 
2,000 years ago that he's born a king and for that purpose did he come into this world? How dare we say the kingdom is not here? It means he's an imposter. It's me we're saying Jesus is a liar. And I don't see how Jesus will come for a cause and will not succeed in establishing the cause. The truth is we don't understand what he came for. Are you staying with me? He said, for this cause was I born. He said, to this end was I born. And for this cause, when you say cause, for this reason came I into the world. And somebody will now say, but you're saying, he said the kingdom is not of this world. Hey, watch this. What it means is this. Don't forget what the prophecy of Daniel said. In the days of this king shall the God of heaven set up all his kingdom. It was in the time of the Roman Empire that he was born. And Jesus said, it is for this purpose that I come. When he said, my kingdom is not of this world, this is what it means to say. My kingdom have no offshoot from the previous kingdoms. Did you get that? Watch how it happened. Nebuchadnezzar have to be conquered by the Medo-Persian kings. And Medo-Persian king have to, I mean, uh, uh, Greek have to conquer the Medo-Persians to establish the Greek city. Is that okay? Then the Greeks have to be conquered by the Romans. Are you getting that? So there's a progression. And for every kingdom conquered by another kingdom, they take some of their principles to build up. So Jesus is saying here, my kingdom have no offshoot from any of those previous kingdoms. It have nothing from Rome, nothing from Babylon, nothing from Medopatia. It is completely heavenly. But it is right here. Are you getting what I'm talking about? That's what he's saying when he says my kingdom is not of this world. He's not saying the kingdom is not to be experienced here. He's saying my kingdom principles, for instance, my economic principles, my political agenda, if I want to use the word, have nothing to do with the previous offshoot. The kind of weapon I use in my kingdom have nothing to do with the weapon that the previous kingdom had been using. Is that okay? That's what it means. And that's why our life is not really based on what we see around us. Our source and resource center is heavenly. God is our source. God is our strength. In him we live and move and have our being. Amen? Okay. So this is why he was born. But let's look at the day he was born. For instance, when he was to come into the world, the prophet said, Luke chapter 1. I'm trying to be very simple. We have a lot of things on the kingdom of God. But for the sake of this forum, let's go this way. Luke chapter 1. Let's look at verse 20. Look at this. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Amen. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be what? No end. Is it when he comes again? Somebody said, but uh, we can't find no kingdom yet. Okay. I want to take you back to prophecies. Can we go back to the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 7? Remember, the pronouncement is God is going to give 
the kingdom of David unto his son, which is Jesus Christ. Is that okay? And often and again, we think it has to be with Solomon. It wasn't really Solomon. It was a kind of a type of Jesus. If I may use the word. But let's look at 2 Samuel chapter number 7. Are we all there? The Bible says, verse 11. 2 Samuel 7, I'm reading from verse 11. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I have caused thee to rest from all thy enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he might make thee an house. Samuel speaking now unto David. And when thy days be fulfilled, prophetically now, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of the bars, and I will establish what? His kingdom. Did you get that? And remember, the angel pronouncement to Mary was that this kingdom that is going to be given to the son of David shall have no end. Now, if you take it in the literal sense, just the way it should be, we know if you think it has to be with Solomon that Saul, I mean Samuel is talking about. Where is the kingdom of Samuel? I mean uh, of Solomon. Do we still find him today? No. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So here the Bible is saying that God was speaking to Samuel to tell David when you've gone to sleep. That in other words, thank you. Let me say this. How many of you understand that believers don't die? They sleep. Is that okay? Are we together? Believers don't die. Don't use that language. It's not right. David slept with the fathers. Asa slept with the fathers. Go check the whole Bible. The only language you're going to see is the world sleep. All the kings of Israel, they slept. You don't see anyone died. They slept. Is that okay? Stephen was stoned, slept. Check it out. Amen? Okay. So now, let's go to the book of Romans. Because this promise was unto a seed of David. Are, are we together? Romans 1. The, 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 the announcement is, man, hey, the angel was just making this to David, I mean to, to Mary. Your seed, God shall give him the throne of his father. He shall rule over Israel, as the case may be. Romans 1. Look at verse 3. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of, what do you find there? The seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness, by what? The resurrection from the dead. Is it clear? <laughs> according to the flesh, he was who? The seed of David. <laughs> he is only the son of God after resurrection you need to understand and the promise of the kingdom was to who the seed of david hallelujah one more scripture on that second timothy 2 let's look at 7 then to 8 i'm trying to establish the fact that the prophecies of daniel they were all fulfilling christ amen 2 Timothy 2 verse 7. Consider what I say, and Lord, and the Lord God give the understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of, of who? The seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. I like that. 
Did you get that? <laughs> so the seed of David that have to really come to the throne of the kingdom was who? Jesus Christ himself. I want you to catch that. Remember what he said, Mark chapter 1. He went to Galilee and whatever and then began to preach the kingdom of God. He said, hand, receive ye the gospel. Amen. Okay. Go to Acts chapter 2. Let's see what happened after resurrection. Let's see what happened. How did Jesus come to the throne of David? How did he come to receive this kingdom? How did he become the reigning king? It's unfortunate anyway. We often say Jesus is the king of kings. Do we say that? Now, how many of you understand that the title king of kings was not unique just to Jesus? He studied the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar was also referred to as the king of kings. The king of kings is a title that goes for everyone that God has given authority over the nations to have dominion over. So Nebuchadnezzar was the king of kings because all nations were subject to the Babylonian empire. The strength, he never knew that God was working through him. Jeremiah 25, he made it even clear to Israel. If you won't submit to Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, I deal with you. You call him a devil, God call him a servant. Well, that's another story. Sorry. Okay, our chapter 2. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> How did he come to become a king? Let's look at that. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse 29. Men and brethren, who is talking here? Peter. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us until this day. Therefore, being a prophet, a prophet king, hallelujah, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his lines, according to the flesh, he will raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Hallelujah. He's seen this before speak of what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And thee, and that his soul was not left in hell, neither he fled this he what? Corruption. Yet this Jesus had God raised up, wherefore we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not said into the heaven, but he said unto him, uh, uh, said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thy on my right hand until I make thy foes or what? Thy full still. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made. That same Jesus, whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. God have made. Huh? There is a transformation. He is the king. You see what, what, what made the Israelites not to believe him, and the Jews not to believe him, and probably even up to now not to still believe him, because they felt that he was going to come and deliver them from the hands of the Roman Empire. But I want to tell you where his kingship really lies. What God foresaw. I was sharing this on, on, on Wednesday for my people. He said, God sees into, into the future, and we as children of God are supposed to see into the future. How many of you understand the Bible says, uh, David was speaking in, in, in Psalm 37, and he said, I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the seed of the righteous begging bread. Amen. 
And, and, and if you go to verse 21 of the same chapter, you're going to see why the righteous doesn't bear bread because the, the fathers have to lay up an inheritance for the children's children. And the key way to lay up for the children's children is to be a merciful, charitable person, even to the poor. And God saw that in the future because he wanted to have an inheritance, he wanted to own the whole world. What did he do? He gave his son. And now he's ripping the whole world. That's a righteous man's work. Amen? So, the rulership of Jesus is from the spirit dimension. Now, let me show you the enemies. They, they have the mind for physical enemies like the Roman Empire and all of that because David was such a warrior. And so they actually was working for the seed of David to be a deliverer. You know, David conquered so many things. There we go, Leah, whatever. Philistines and all of that. So they feel every child that is coming who is supposed to be the Messiah, who is going to be the seed of David, will be such a warrior to fight literal battles and kill all the people and deliver Israel and make them a nation. And that is why they say the problem in the Palestine today because people think that is the holy land. There is nothing there holy, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. You could go. There's no problem. Pilgrimage, fine. That is another good. You want to use that for honeymoon, fine. Beautiful, but man, wherever God step upon is the holy ground. Are you still there with me? Otherwise, you, you tell me, how would a burning bush be a holy ground? God say, man, pull off your shoe because the ground you are standing is a holy ground. What made the ground holy? That's a burning bush. Yeah. Moses was already on the holy ground before ever anything comes up. Yeah. Are you getting what I'm talking about? What are we saying? Wherever God stepped upon, that's the holy ground. We can make this nature a holy place. Bringing in God here. Hallelujah. Let's see how Jesus reigned. 1 Corinthians 15. But we all agree that Jesus is the seed of David that was promised. Do we all agree that he was promised a kingdom? So can we conclude the kingdom must be here because the seed was born? <laughs> Are we here? Okay, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 25. Praise the Lord. Trying to keep the time. <laughs> excellent, excellent ministry. Fine. <laughs> Two men are in front that I fear so much. I don't like their looks. As I'm trying to get my eye off that chapter, that's, that's sexual. I like this place. These guys here. Two people in front. No, no, no. First Corinthians 15. No, don't look that way anymore. First Corinthians 15. Look at verse 25. For he must reign. Who is it that must reign? Till he put all enemies under his feet. Meaning it's raining. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? This man is raining. So if you say the kingdom is not here, you're saying death is going to reign forever. You're saying sickness. Why do you cast out devils? Why do you heal people? By what power do you do that? <laughs> He's raining. He's got a kingdom. Amen. This is what you ask to take to the world. Now this, listen, let's, let's go. You see, Paul, we said, the kingdom of God is not with wealth, but with what power. You see, the anointing, as you call it, or the Holy Spirit is not just for speaking in tongues. Now, I believe in speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues, like Paul, we say, more than you all, if you will. My prayer time, my wife knows I hardly can, everything, I said, we're praying together. 
I speak in tongues. Well, man, that is not what the Holy Spirit is totally meant for. Amen? Amen. It goes beyond tongues. Because I also believe even animals can speak in tongues. Amen? I might say, what do you mean by that? Check the Bible. The donkey, sir, that spoke to the prophet. What language did he use? When an animal began to speak the language of a man, he was speaking in tongues. So what are we talking about? Animal can speak in tongues, man. <laughs> but I'm talking about power. I'm talking about healing people, delivering people, getting them out of the hands of the devil, preaching the message that says I'm free. The kingdom is with power. It's not cheap stuff. It's not, you know. No, 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 no. Okay, let's leave that. Thank you. Okay. Hallelujah. I will sit together. Okay. Look at Matthew 12. Let me start winding up now. I know this guy, this party has smiled. Uh, yeah. Matthew 12. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Matthew 12. Are you there with me? Let's look at verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then, who is talking here? Did you get that? If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So you don't need to be expecting it. It's already here. Did you get that? I like this scripture. <laughs> and so when we read of Luke and he says, God shall give him the throne of his father David. We know that Jesus is reigning. And we know that he came into the place of authority on the day of resurrection. When he rose, he sat down. <laughs> and I like that. We share that on Sunday. Winning by sitting. Hmm? You look at the book of Mark, the Bible tells us, Mark 12. You know, the Bible made us understand that the Bible says, and God said, you sit down until I make your enemy your foot too. The man sat down and his enemies are becoming a foot march. You win by sitting. And where do you sit? At the right hand of God. And what did Ephesians tell you? Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, we are sitting together with him. So you are at the right hand of God. You are not anywhere else. You need to know that. And that is why devils must subject unto you. Why must they be subject unto you? Because you are sitting above them. In fact, you are not asked to look up. You are out supposed to be looking down on the devil. You know what it means to look down on someone? Because your position differs. I bring him under your footstool. Where do you find the devil? On your footstool. We are promoting the devil too much in church. This man is our full stool. He's under our full stool. We should look down. When you look down on somebody, you commonize the person. Why are we promoting the devil? All the time. Even when men have wrong thought, you say it's the devil. No, wrong thought is fun. In fact, the Bible says foolishness is sin. How many of you understand that? That's wrong thought. Don't associate everything with the devil. Think right. Amen? Are you catching what I'm talking about? If I cast out devils... By the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. But yeah, we are still expecting the kingdom. So, what makes up a kingdom in the first place? 
You need four things to have a kingdom. The king, the subject, the territory, the rules or the culture of the people. Get this four things together. You have a kingdom. So you have the kingdom of the Benin people. Huh? They have the Benin language. They have the Obar of Benin. The territory is the Benin location. And then you have the Benin culture. Their kind of food, their kind of dressing. That's why you call the Benin kingdom. So God's kingdom is God, the king. The territory is the whole world. The people are the believers. The law is the Bible. You don't need to go too far to find God's kingdom. Hallelujah. And so in Luke 17, remember, you know, saying Jesus was making a statement. He said, the kingdom does not come with what? Observation. So if they say, lo, they are here, they don't go. For the kingdom of God is within you. Luke 17, 20, 21. The kingdom of God is within you. Listen. So now the point is, when the kingdom comes, it removes all the kings that are ruling there. And God's kingship is established. And so God in turn, we go out and establish God's kingdom or God's rule or God's dominion in his people. And that's why I get into the problem with theology. I don't want to go that way. But the Bible tells us the increase of his government, there shall be no end. So when he started, he continued. Stop, man. Until the whole world, the glory of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. There is an increase of his government. Let's look at Matthew 12 now from the message and I'm going to stop there so that we can drink some water as well. Praise God. Next section we're going to be dealing on grace. But please read the book of Mark, I mean, act very well before you come. Amen? Read it very well before you come. Okay, same Matthew 12, I'm reading from the message translation. I want to read from verse 43. When a defiling spirit, defiling evil spirit has spared from someone, it drifts along through the desert looking for an oasis. Some unsuspecting soul, it can be devil. When he doesn't find anyone, verse 44, he says, I'll go back to my own hunt. On return, he finds the person spotlessly clean but vacant. Verse 45, and he then runs out and runs up seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all move in, whooping it up. That person ends. Up far worse off than if he had never gotten cleaned up in the first place. Are you still there? Listen to this. That is what the generation is like. You may think you have cleaned out the junk from your lives and gotten ready for God, but you weren't hospitable to my kingdom message, and now all the devils are moving back in. The corruption in the church today is the neglect of the message of the kingdom. 
You refuse to be hospitable to the message of the kingdom. So everything that have left the church is coming back. The solution to the pollution that is in church today is to raise up one more time the message of the kingdom of God. God bless you.